Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 121, A Conversation with Amanda Quick. Amanda was 29 years old, living in New York City when she was diagnosed with ER-positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. She talks about the diagnosis, the symptoms that led to her diagnosis, how she started to process that information and those news and move forward to begin treatment. She shares about what treatment is like, how she's reconciled her diagnosis with the milestones that are traditionally associated with being in your late 20s and your early 30s. She talks about the advocacy work that she is doing with the Pink Agenda, navigating things like dating and alcohol, going out, nutrition, you know, with a breast cancer diagnosis and living in New York City and what that has been like for her. We also talk about the importance of social media, but also the importance of disconnecting, taking a break, stepping back when you need to. I think this conversation is such a powerful one. And I am grateful to Amanda for being so open and vulnerable and honest in sharing her story. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Amanda Quick to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude Podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Amanda, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on Interlude. Um, So yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. So I've been following you on social media. You you were all over the media, uh, you know, during breast cancer this month. And so I know a lot of people have kind of gotten to know a little bit about you, but let's kind of go into it in more detail. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are, your story, where it started? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm Amanda Quick. I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri, um, and I currently live in New York City. And one fun fact that I always share with people is that I've lived in seven states. So growing up, I moved around a lot um, because of my my dad's job in, in corporate. And so I've lived in Kansas, Missouri, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, um, and New York. So New York City was was always my dream city. Um, I attended Syracuse University, where I initially wanted to be a journalist. It was my my dream job to have um, a talk show, but then you know pivoted a little bit, went more of the business route. So now I'm a consultant at a big four firm. Um, I'm currently 30, and you know my breast cancer story started about a year ago. Um, so I was 29 years old. I had been at home um, visiting my parents back in the Midwest, and I felt a swollen lymph node that had been you know under my arm for you know. I felt that. And then it was there for a week or two. Um, Wasn't worried too much about it because I'd had it before when I was sick or, um, you know, just was feeling under the weather, but went back to New York City um, about six to eight weeks later and had grown much larger and harder. So um, went to both my primary care provider as well as my GYNO. 
Um, they did some blood work and then my doctor also had me get, um, a sonogram. So initially it was kind of like, Hey, you're super young. Um, you know, it probably isn't anything, but let's go ahead and check it out. And, you know, it's great that I, I get to share kind of the longer version of this story. Sometimes, you know, I only get that 30 second, uh, you know, clip and more so right TV, but, Uh, so after the sonogram, they came back, they said, you know, it's again, probably just from you being run down could be from potentially you getting the COVID vaccine recently. Um, but then something interesting happened and it was, I actually got a, uh, blood test. So I got a blood test and it actually showed elevated levels for my ALT and AST. And as a doctor, you probably know that's, that's related to your liver. So my doctor kind of made a joke and she's like, Hey, have you been drinking a lot more during COVID what's going on? But I want you to go ahead and get a sonogram of your liver. So ended up getting a sonogram of my liver and they said, okay, we're seeing a few spots. Why don't we go ahead and have you get a CT scan? And from that CT scan, we actually saw spots in my liver as well as shading in my left breast. So then I went to get a mammogram. And from there kind of spiraled, everything happened so quickly. There's times um, I don't even remember all the details, uh, but got a biopsy. And I think from when I got the biopsy, I, I kind of knew just because the energy around you're so young to like, okay, now we need to run all these tests. I definitely changed. So I just remember walking down third Ave, calling my mom bawling, you know, it's kind of New York. So people see it. But in that moment, I was like, I you know, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but then I got the news and it turns out I did have uh, breast cancer. So I have metastatic breast cancer her two um, positive or, well, sorry, if I have breast cancer, her two negative and then hormone receptor uh, positive. And, you know, I think I want to say that how good, it not good, but the fact that your doctor yeah. actually, you know, took it seriously and didn't attribute yeah. just to alcohol or just, oh, you know, you're probably menstruating because I think unfortunately, and this is why it's so important to have these conversations, right? So that people can advocate for themselves and say, you know what, I'd really want this worked up or, you know, I know it's probably right. maybe related to my period because most of the time it is going to be, but, um, right. and so when you, how did you get the news? Did they call you? Did they have you come back into the office? Yeah. So they did call me and I think you just, I remember where I was at. You remember those words and just everything stopping. So they did call me and initially it was kind of like, Hey, they called me and like had me come in, but they told me on the call that I definitely did have breast cancer. And at the time, you know, I still did get a liver biopsy, so it wasn't confirmed, but they were like, we are pretty sure based on what we're seeing in the scans that it is metastatic. And at the time I didn't know what metastatic was. I think I had talked to a few friends at that point and I had a friend who her, her mom had lymphoma, you know, another friend, uh, she had a family friend that had thyroid cancer. So you hear sometimes metastatic and people are like, Oh, with stage four cancer, they went into remission. So I'm still not really understanding, I think for breast cancer, what metastatic is. And it wasn't until we went to the first doctor where I got that first opinion that I remember she came in and she sat me down and, you know, she kind of talked to me about fertility and those options, but she, I think it really set in when she said, you're going to be on treatment for the rest of your life. And, um, this, this will be a lifelong thing. And I was still very confused because someone, again, who's not in the medical field, I was like, Oh, but people go into remission. People can be cancer-free. Um, so I think that was the news that was the hardest. And at that point, my mom was on the phone or my mom was with me, my dad was on the phone and 
I just remember crying and it, it went silent. And I think even for my family, it, it really sat that, okay, this is going to be more of just like a one or two year journey. And it's very different because you can so different knowing that, okay, it's going to be hard, but it's two years or whatever. And I can right. then come back from that. What happened at that point, kind of as you're processing, figuring out, okay, where am I going to get my care? What is my treatment going to look like? What was going through your mind if, you know, through all of that? I think the first part, it's really interesting. I think a lot of people probably think about care. I am, you know, now starting to think, how much time do I have? It's crazy because when I was, when I feel like when a lot of people are in their 20s, I'm now talked about this with friends you think you have so much time left or you're like, I'm invincible. I'm young. I eat healthy. And so I was thinking about all of those life milestones of, you know, I am single right now, but getting married, having a family, um, following my dreams of, you know, one day becoming an author and just moving up in my career. I saw all of those things kind of flash before my eyes of like, now are all are are all of these things going to happen? And how am I going to find a partner who understands? How am I going to find a workplace that, you know, understands where I can work and get treatment. Um, and then it kind of set in, okay, now I need to think about the logistics of all of this. So for me, um, I ended up getting two opinions and it was interesting. The first opinion had me, you know, getting chemo and then we went to get another opinion and I'm now at Mount Sinai. I went with a second opinion where I'm at the Juban Breast Center. Um, I'm with the chief oncologist there, Joe Sperano. He is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I had an opportunity to sit next to him at a dinner at a conference a couple of years ago. And I was like, I'm just going to like, can I like grab all your knowledge? Yeah, he's great. And I told him he cannot retire. I'm like, hey, like if we get to a point where you're going to retire, we're going to do some kind of consulting thing. He's awesome. But <laughs> I went in and, yeah, and he really was like, okay, there are, and again, for someone who didn't know it, about different cancer options, I didn't realize that not starting with chemo didn't have to be my first protocol. So it was good learning um, for me. And that's probably advice I, I tell everyone, obviously get multiple opinions and depending on where you are in your journey, um, you know, you'll, you'll kind of have your treatment plan. But yeah, I think the biggest for me was I thought about the logistics and then I ended up going back home. And I probably will say this is the first time I've probably vocalized this. I definitely went through like a depression for that week, week and a half that I was home. I remember I was like in the same clothes for three days. My dad's like really need to get up and like shower and like walk around. Um, and I had amazing coworkers who had just donated PTO. So I did have time to just take some time off and reflect, but I was mostly just under the covers for that week. Like I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. I tried to replay everything in my mind, did I use a deodorant? Did I use like a body wash? Like you go through all of these questions of like, could I have done something different? Or even just um, from an education perspective of, you know, my grandmother on my paternal side, she got breast cancer in her early thirties. Hers was stage two. She ended up having two kids and I did all the genetic testing. It came back negative, but still wonder, is there some kind of gene, gene connection? But I think I had to finally just let go of the like, why me and what did I do? And, and finally like move forward. When, and I, I think it is so important that you took the time. Um, many people mm -hmm. don't, right. Many people just throw themselves into, okay, I, I got to do all these things. And yeah. you have, at some point you have to take the time because we see, I see this a lot people who kind of just were go, go, go two years later. They're like, what happened to me? Right. right? And at some point you have to process it and not that a week is enough time, but I think just giving right giving yourself a little bit of space and 
sometimes, yeah, you need to lie around in pajamas for three days and, (laughs) you know, and then say, okay, like now it's time to, I gotta, you know, I'm going to move forward. Exactly. What, What did treatment look like in the beginning? So for me, and I'm still on the first protocol, but so treatment starting off, it's been, um, I am on hormone therapy. So I'm um, on a medication called Verzenio. Um, so I take that twice a day and then pair that with, and forgive me if I mess up, you know, the names I'm still even learning, but um, an AI, so aromatase inhibitor. Um, and then once a month, I actually had treatment today of it once a month, every Wednesday, I go in and I get um, the injections in my stomach. So I believe it's Zoladex mm-hmm. and Gocerolin. So one for suppressing the ovaries and then one for kind of that bone strength, bone health. Um so that is kind of my treatment plan now. And then every six months, um, you know, I, I go in and get my scan. So, you know, my scans have shown a lot of really good progress. I think uh, it's no longer detectable in my breast or lymph nodes. It's really just still in the, in the liver. So I'm always just so grateful and amazed by all the medication that's that's come out and the, the treatment plans that, um, you know, continue to help people live more of like that normal life. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think and we didn't have, you know, we didn't have Rosinio a couple of years ago. And so yeah. the, the fact that things are have progressed and, and there's new drugs that come out all the time, all the time. which yeah. I think is so promising that you can, you know, that even maybe there's not something right now that in a year or two, there's going to be something new, hopefully that. Right. Um, but and it's great. How long have you been on this regimen? So I've been on since I started. So August, um, 2021. So I just kind of hit my first cancerversary. So hoping it, it continues right to work. And, um, my doctor did confirm that I have like the HER2 low. So I think Mm -hmm. I am eligible for the other medication that just came out. So like you said, you're always just like, Hey, I'm on a medication until it works and then, uh, see what's out there. And, you know, do you feel like it's been, been on it for a year? Do you feel like, okay, I'm living, you know, obviously there's no such thing as your old normal after a cancer, right. like a diagnosis, but what does life look like now in terms of your day to day and, you know, being 30 and, and living in New York city and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's, I still, I feel like in my mentally will divide, you know, my, my life now kind of before cancer, after cancer, but, and, and that definitely was a lot more in the beginning when I was first diagnosed, but I think it's, weirdly, I don't even know if I can say better, but I do wake up every day and I'm like, okay, how am I going to have a great day today? How am I going to kill it? I'm still going to travel. Like you said, I, I took that trip with friends to London and, um, to Florence. So, and for me living in New York was always my dream, getting my, my own apartment or renting my own apartment was always my dream. So I'm still very much like, Hey, you know, I, not that I try not to think about cancer every day, but I try not to make it like, oh my gosh, I'm living with cancer. Woe is me, but really trying to just still say like, Hey, I'm, I'm living my normal life. So I still, now I've started like dating again. I've started, um, you know, I had gotten promoted when I first got my diagnosis. So as much as I can just try to say, um, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm still really grateful and, you know, I'm, I'm living like my best life. I'm trying not, not to sound cliche, but, (laughs) um, I do feel that way. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and I think putting it out there and saying that, yes, I'm living with this, but it's not yeah. my identity. You know, it doesn't exactly. define everything that I do. So, but let's, let's talk about dating. Cause I get this question a lot. Yeah. You bring it up. When do you bring it up? 
And if you don't feel comfortable, I completely understand because I know. No, I, I totally understand. So I, or I'm, I'm totally open to talking about it um, because I feel, and it's, it's funny when I first diagnosed, I had the same conversation with friends. Like, when do I bring it up? Do I wait? And I like, don't obviously put it on my uh, dating app profile. I'm not like, Hey, like stage four metastatic breast cancer, like hit me up with questions. But, um, you know, one guy I had told, I think on the third or fourth date, it kind of just came up in conversation. Um, he had shared something about his family, um, and breast cancer had actually run in his family. And I said, Hey, you know, um, actually I was diagnosed about a year ago and he was actually very comfortable with it. He was like, I don't know like what metastatic breast cancer means. Like he was like, Oh, sorry, Siri. Um, but he he was like, Hey, I Googled it. And like, this is what I saw. And I was like, don't Google, just come to me. But I, I tried to make it more like, Hey, I'm doing really well. I'm not like looking for a caregiver. I'm still looking to come to like with an equal partnership. This is a part of my life. And long-term, if I dated someone, it would be a part of yours. But, um, I think just making it more, I also always present it um, just like a chronic illness. It's yeah. obviously not the same, but someone who has diabetes, who has to take insulin or someone who has high blood pressure, um, you know, there are a lot of diseases that obviously you have to take medication, you have to monitor. Um, and I try to present it in that way. And I think when, and if, you know, when I find the right person, it's not going to be a like, oh, this is such a bad thing. I'll just be like, okay, yeah, it's a part of your story, but like we can still um, create an amazing life together. And, and that's the advice I give to other people too. Um, I think too, sometimes the earlier you do it, it might be a little bit easier than waiting till that five, six month. And then someone being like, wait a minute, this is, you know, not what I was expecting. So. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, do I tell them on the first date or the second date? Yeah. I think it's right when it feels. Feels right. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I do tell people that if you are afraid to bring it up, then that's probably not the right person. Probably not the right person. Yeah, exactly. And. <laughs> I, I am very open about it too, as you know, like I have it on my social media. So if you go search for me or you ask to follow, like you're going to see it. So I'd also rather be able to tell the person my experience and my story before they, you know, go and find some kind of article um, that's out there. But I I think you're right. The right person, it's, it's not going to scare them. They're going to say, wow, like you're actually really resilient for going through this. And, you know, I'm excited to build a life with you, whether that's a family or a long-term relationship or a marriage. And, and I hope that you find that person. Oh my um, gosh, me too. Yeah, everyone put out good vibes. I'm putting out all, all 2023 is the year Amanda Quick finds love. Meeting <laughs> in New York City is, I mean, I did, oh. I did in New York City before I met my husband. And yeah. it is, it is a, it's like a second job. Yeah, it's insane. And just the other thing, it kind of relates to dating, but also what you we were talking about earlier, a really piece of good advice that i gotten from my therapist too is as things are changing. So whether that's marriage or family, like, right, I don't know if I most likely won't be able to have my own children biologically. So that's adopting, but whatever your life looked like, she was like, you're allowed to still grieve what you thought your life was going to look like. And like you said, take that time to do that. But then it's also kind of exciting because she's like, hey, no one knows what's going to happen, but you can still create that family. It might not be yours. You can still have that marriage um, and it might look different. Um, But I think that was really good advice that I got when I started to think about how I wanted the future to look like for me. Yeah, I I think in just like what you're there, and I love that you see a therapist because I think that is so, (laughs) um, everyone should be doing that. But you can be happy with where things are right now and still grieve you know, 
yeah didn't have or what you thought you would have and just like sometimes people say I'm you know I'm grateful that the scans look good but I'm mm -hmm. still upset that this happened in the first place right, right. So you have the duality of emotions and it's very normal and I feel like sometimes we just push it away and right and that's we don't need to do that exactly and I that is actually one thing with this getting cancer. It's funny. All my friends now, they're like, you talk about your emotions so much more. And I think whether it was, I was always the journalist or the person asking questions and moving around. So sometimes it took me longer to open up. I definitely was that person that pushed away all my emotions, didn't talk about it. If I was disappointed, if I was frustrated and this experience has like taught me really to like feel that like, it, like you said, it doesn't have to be toxic positivity or happiness. It can be like, Hey, I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I'm upset this happened. Or, Hey, I had a really rough day. And like, you're allowed to sit in those feelings and it doesn't mean that you're negative Nancy, um, or that you're a bad person. It sometimes is actually good to feel it, release it. And then, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I end up feeling better, a little bit better after that. Yeah. I think you're just expressing it, whatever, whatever mm -hmm. it looks like, um, and getting help. And I think we're so, I always, so many people are so hesitant to see a therapist or get help, you know, mm -hmm. get help in that way. But I say to people, you know, if I give you medication for nausea, you're going to take that without thinking twice. And right. medications for our brain, you know, the most important part in our body, we're like, oh, I don't know about that. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. Um, now chemo, not chemo, um, the Brazinio and the Zolodex and, you know, the, and AstraZone, the aromatase inhibitor, obviously are all putting you into menopause and then, and then lowering right. estrogen levels some more. So what has that been in terms of, you know, going from a premenopausal woman to someone who's now in menopause and faced with a lot of those side effects? Yeah. So I, it was, you know, like you said, as soon as, um, I got the news, I got off my birth control right away. Um, I'd say for me, it's been, I, I actually haven't had, I will say I'm lucky in the sense that I haven't had too many bad side effects. Um, I definitely, when I started getting my blood work done, my calcium levels were really low. So I take like additional calcium morning and night to keep, you know, my bones strong, keep those levels high. And then I think for me, it's been getting back on a very consistent workout schedule. Cause like you said, going into the post-menopause, um, I think, and again, if I'm messing this up, let me know, but your bones can get weak and brittle and right. I don't want to necessarily go into, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're definitely osteoporosis. Yeah. Yes. So just trying to get back into some of the strength, um, workouts, but I'd say like overall for me, um, my side effects, I've, I've been lucky in the sense that I haven't felt too many of them. Well, that's which is great. Um, which is great. Yeah, definitely be a lot. Yeah. Um. So tell me about you said you, know, you mentioned that you are sharing on social media and yeah what made you decide to go in that direction and and to be so open about what you're going through. Yeah. So it was just recently that I decided to share. I think that first six or eight months, I kept everything very close to the vest. I told my direct boss and a few people I worked with just because I had to be in and out for appointments. And then there were maybe my my close family knew. I remember a lot of my close family is actually still in Kansas City. So we did kind of a family Zoom um, because just the emotional toll it takes to sometimes make those every individual call, like 20 calls, it's like, then you have to end up kind of consoling people on the other side when you're like, Hey, I'm the person going through this. So did a family zoom and then told four or five of my really close friends. And other than that, I was like, I was very much like, I want to keep this normal. I don't want people to know just because 
I never wanted to be in the victim mentality of like, this is the sick friend, the sick coworker. I wanted people to still see me as just like Amanda, like the friend, daughter, sister, and like they still do, but I was also still just processing myself. So one thing that I think made me share is throughout this process, I've talked to a lot of other young women um, and, you know, I get connected with them, whether it's through, whether it's been friends of friends um, or different organizations like the pink agenda. And then recently, um, you know, got connected with 542, maybe a few months ago. Um, But I think the big thing, it was talking to other young women who were like, I was recently diagnosed, you know, what was your story? What did you go through? And having those conversations, they were like, wow, you're one of the first people who's really gotten it. I think a lot of the times when you get breast cancer, people are so amazing at connecting you with their aunt, their great aunt, their grandmother, but people who are in their fifties or in sixties, who've gone through it, they're just at such a different point in their life, right? They've already had kids. They've already been married. They might be retired. So what does it look like for someone going through that in the same age? And I finally said, you know what? I want to talk about it because it is important to share the story, but it's also important to get out there what metastatic breast cancer is. And that like, again, women are living with it. Um, And I am also on the education committee through the pink agenda. And one thing we do is we'll talk to different women's groups about prevention, education, um, what are kind of some of those risk factors. And for me, if I can help someone else or, you know, give someone else that information to maybe go get screened or to, you know, eat healthy workout and that, you know, prevents them or it's more on their radar, what metastatic breast cancer is, um, then, you know, hopefully I, I know that's, that's kind of part of my purpose. So, so yeah. That's, I mean, I think that's amazing. And I, I love actually that you didn't, you know, always talk to people about if, when, when I see them for consults, if you're going to share, you know, be intentional about it because mm-hmm. you have to be ready to kind of get, receive all of that. Um, right. If you're going to put it out there. So um, because I think, that can be a lot. And so sometimes I know a lot of the, the advocacy groups kind of don't even really take patient advocates until they're a couple of months or a year into treatment, just so that they've had time to really process what that means for themselves. And, and what, tell me a little bit more about the pink agenda. Yeah. So the pink agenda is um, awesome. I actually was connected initially with their vice president. So Samantha Golkin, I was, at the time, just looking for a community. I myself, like I said, have been connected with people here and there, but I was like, I want to find my people as I go through this journey. And so I found an article that Sam had written in 2014 on the Huffington Post. So I found her on LinkedIn, you know, like a super stalker reached out and we ended up connecting over Zoom. So from there, I was connected with the Pink Agenda and the Pink Agenda is the 5013C, so nonprofit. Um, that is kind of the young professionals group. So we talk about raising money for research, um, raising awareness about breast cancer, and then we say raising hell. Um, And our parent organization is the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Um, So like I said, I'm part of the education committee. I'm now super passionate just about the education piece. There were, again, so many things that I didn't know um, before, before I got connected. So walking or working out 30 minutes a day, that alcohol has an impact on uh, breast cancer. You know, I no longer drink and have changed my diet, but, um, I think speaking to people about those risk factors too are super important, but the pink agenda is, is great. And, um, you know, if there are people out there who want to get involved, you don't obviously have to have breast cancer. Um, we have people who are pre-vivors, we have survivors, we have people who've been, who've had, well, I'm speaking really fast. You're gonna have to edit this. Um, (laughs) 
um, who's, who people who've had, you know, friends or parents who are impacted, uh, but it's an amazing community and group of women. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just lucky to be a part of it. And I think it's so important to find your people, right? And yeah. to find a group that, that you feel comfortable with because there are, I mean, there are so many amazing advocacy groups. They're not all going to be right for, right. for each person. Right. Um, just like there's a lot of, I think, really, really wonderful communities on social media, but they're not all right. You know, some some groups, I know some people will say, well, I went on this Facebook group and I, I didn't feel like we connected or they had different interests. Um, and I think one of the things that's changed since COVID is a lot of the in-person support groups kind of went away or went virtual. Yeah. And so people, I think, felt a little bit more free to branch out. Um, right. to go beyond their local hospital support group because that wasn't meeting anyway and to say, hey, right. who else is on the internet? Exactly. And yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's a great tip too. It's like you might join a group initially if you're not comfortable. You don't, I don't want to say you don't have to stay, but like you said, branch out, do your research um, and just like continue to talk to people until you do find that group. Yeah. And I think now, I mean, social media and the breast cancer community has exploded, I would say in the last wild to two year. I mean, it's, years. Really, yeah. it's really quick. I feel like, yeah. Um, and people are getting online and people are connecting, which is really, really wonderful. Have there been any negative consequences for you? Not negative consequences, but in a way that sometimes you're like, I need a break right now from this. Yeah, I think, I would say so October was definitely a lot. It was my first October that I was really in it, even though I was diagnosed August 2021. I just started treatment and I'd maybe done a walk, but I wasn't really as involved last October. And this October, it's it's kind of a mix of emotions because I'm like, wow, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do, you know, the Good Morning America interview, the um campaign with uh BCRF and Ann Taylor Loft. But then on the other hand, it ends up you know, being a lot because a lot more people end up reaching out. And sometimes there are people that you know, but sometimes there are people that you don't. So I remember after I did the Good Morning America interview, you know, people found me on social media, I got messages and a lot were positive, but some people were like, Hey, great interview. You know, my mom had can breast cancer and like, she died from it, but like, good luck. Or like, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa like, why do you, or like, maybe that's their way to connect. But yeah. I'm like, okay, that's, that's not a positive message oh. or, or people are like, Oh, you know, you'll be fine. You're young. You look great. And um, again, I think sometimes people are coming from a good place, but maybe they still don't see sometimes the emotional and the physical toll that still comes with treatment, even though to the, to the normal world, if you saw me walking down the street, you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, so I think overall I'd say 80% positive, 10%. It's kind of like a WTF. I don't even know where that came from. And then, you know, 10% it's like, didn't really, um, need that. But I think that's with anything or, or everyone on social media, whenever you do decide to share, you kind of know that that's that's what comes with it, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, because again, it's, it's important to, to share the story. I agree. I mean, there's always going to be comments and feedback. I mean, you should see some mm -hmm. of the things that I get in my DMS and I'm like, um, okay. Didn't ask for that. Yeah. <laughs> we can delete that. Um, but it's funny, there was an article, um, in the Atlantic this week about, you know, with what everything is going on with Twitter, there was an article about like, is social media like dying, you know, and this, I saw that actually. Like that. yeah. And the author is like, social media should go away. There is like, it needs to die. And maybe that's good for everyone. And I, I disagree with that. I mean, I think it has Agreed. so yeah. many um, positive things, but I always talk about it's okay to step away when you need a break or if you feel like this is a lot, you know, it's overwhelming at times. 
Yeah. And I think just set those personal boundaries and limits are good. I remember last January, I actually took six weeks and I said, I just want to completely right now separate myself from social media. And I wasn't even necessarily talking about breast cancer, but I was like, I just completely need a reset. Um, I, another tip, I don't do this, but a friend does it is she'll just log out Monday to Thursday. And then she's only on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you kind of get those, those bursts and those flashes of social media. But then she's like, Hey, the rest of the week, I'll kind of see what everyone else is up to. Um, but then I have that time and I am not constantly, constantly scrolling. But like you said, I, I think it's important that you have to kind of set the boundary for yourself and then, or even, you know, block those people or don't respond to those people who don't necessarily have something good to say either. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the beauty of it is that it's whatever you do, it's your page. It's, it's exactly. Your, they can leave. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you want anything, but it's, you know, I think with whatever's happening on Twitter, a lot of the conversations about what social media, it, it's very interesting to see how things are kind of playing themselves, playing themselves out right now. Exactly. And I think if you see it as something, a tool for good, I think that's, it's always how you frame it. If you see it as a tool for good, where you can spread the message or like your page, I love your page because I feel like every time I've scrolled through, there's something new that I've learned, whether it's about what like a phytoestrogen is or, um, you know, an event that's coming up, like the Peloton ride that you did, you know, I'm like, okay, this is a page that I love to follow. There's always something new that I learn. And and I think if you go in with, with that mindset, then social media is going to be great. But if you go in with the mindset of like, oh, social media is bad, it's not doing anything for us, then those are the those are going to be the things and the pages that you pick up. And I think now, you know, there's a lot changing and you can, you know, I always tell people to unfollow, like you don't have to follow. You can always just, when you need something, like you're like, let me see what's happening. You can check in, but you don't have to right. follow all the accounts. Cause sometimes, yeah, maybe you don't want to see cancer all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. um, I also know people do, they'll have like their personal and then they'll have just like an account if they maybe don't want to really participate in the community, but kind of just take, you know, learn and right. they'll make their own just pages for that, like where they That's can log in idea. and just get their content, get their education when they don't want to just look at like pictures of cat, you know, puppies. Or right. Exactly. Whatever it is. So I think the key is designing it and having boundaries and, and setting limits, but it can be really, really helpful. And some of the great communities out there that are very specialized, whether it's, you know, triple negative breast, like the TMBC Thrivers or whatever, right. whatever it is. Um, so any, I mean, I'm sure it was all surprising, but any surprises that have come up now that you're kind of settled in this regimen and trying to live, you know, and, and thrive, any things that have been challenging or surprising in the last few months? I would say it's not, um, and can you still hear me? One of my headphones just yeah, went out. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm really giving you a run for your money on the editing. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the biggest thing for me has been more so in a social setting. Like I said, I, I gave up alcohol and it wasn't a problem for me. But you start to realize how much, in, especially in a place like New York City, revolves around um, just food and, and alcohol. So you know, I gave up alcohol, I gave up red meat, I do try to limit sweets and, and sugar, obviously, I'll, I'll treat myself on the weekends. But I think the hardest thing is going to sometimes a work happy hour, a friend happy hour, a party, and being that person that doesn't drink now in New York, obviously, there are a lot more places that do mocktails, or I can get a seltzer or a water. Um, but people sometimes do notice and do ask not in a malicious way, but I think out of curiosity, like, hey, don't you want to drink or like, hey, we're all doing shots. 
Um, and I don't want to necessarily go into, especially with a new person, like, Hey, I have cancer. You're not trying to drop that right before the 8 PM Sunday night football game. That completely ruins the mood. Um, so I think for me, I mean, the biggest surprise one was that there was a link between alcohol and breast cancer, but it just was kind of exacerbated in my mind too, of how much social revolves Mm -hmm. around the eating and the drinking and how much that would kind of change the way that I went out in New York. So I still have a lot of fun, but you know, again, when it's, I, I don't go out crazy, but like on a Halloween or a time when, you know, you're dressing up or you're out with your friends, you do notice if it's 1.30 AM and you're kind of the, you're the sober one. So, um, and what I'm going to say next, I'm not allowed to say on your podcast, you can definitely take it out. But for me, what I found is, um, you know, I will sometimes just take an edible when I go out, it puts me at ease. I'm comfortable. I'm still having a great time. And again, it's not that I'm relying on anything, but it's just, you know, for me, something that, that I have when I'm social. So I, I think a good, really important point to talk about that, you know, I get a lot of questions about marijuana and people, you know, in the office will be like, so like, I want to ask you some, I was like, what? Did, did yeah, you <laughs> right. You're like, please just, ask. Just yeah. Get it out. Um, because I think there's still such a stigma about it. Um, and yeah. interestingly, and this is completely anecdotal because I haven't really looked at this, but I feel like older patients are, there's more of a stigma yeah than younger people who are like well like we've grown up you know it's legal now and so but I I think that it can be really really helpful um one as you pointed out as an alternative to alcohol right right still feel in in that social way but it can be really helpful for side effects and Mm -hmm. it can be huge for side effects um I'd rather people take that than take tons of nausea medications that are going to make them constipated um, right. It can be really helpful for anxiety and joint pain. So I think we have to get, take the stigma out of it. Definitely. I, I like agree. I think like you said with older patients and with even, you know, parents or older family members, um, I think, and I've talked with friends about this, some cancer patients are not, but it's still very much whisperings taboo of like, oh, this person is doing drugs. But like you said, there, there are definitely benefits when I have had those days where I'm really tired or nauseous or just super anxious. Um, whether it's about a scan or just something else, you know, I'll take half of one before I go to sleep. And, um, you know, for, for me, they've, they've definitely helped. So like you said, I hope we can even change the conversation just around more so the benefits instead of just the quote unquote disadvantages. Exactly. Um, and it, it's an important topic. And I think one that has been around for, you know, medical marijuana has been around for a long time. But in now that it's legal, I, I think the conversations are under are really changing because it is so accessible, depending exactly. on what state you live in. But in New York, New Jersey, it's, you know, legal and, and accessible. Um, but I, I will add to the alcohol piece that one of the things that I hear a lot about is people say, I really want to cut down, you know, we try to say about three drinks a week or less. Some people, mm-hmm. Like you want to just stop. They're like, you know what? It's easier for me to just say, I'm not going to drink. But a lot of times people tell me, well, I feel really anxious. Like when I have a drink, you know, I'm at a party and feel bad about not having a drink, but I, then I feel really anxious when I drink it, which defeats the purpose. So I think what you said is get some, get something you can hold, right? Like a seltzer, just have something, make them ask for a mocktail, um, and yeah, they're going to be those weird people that are like, especially if you're young, they'll be like, oh, are you trying to get pregnant? And you're going to, you know, right. Or like, are you like sober? Yeah. Um, but I think 
it's if it may, I always tell people if it makes you anxious, then that defeats the purpose of drinking. Exactly. And I think like it, it is right. Definitely. You know, sometimes an image thing. And like you said, just getting something to hold a lot of the times I've gone to bartenders and I'm like, Hey, can I have a seltzer with a lemon in the same type of cup? And it looks like to the outside world, right. A vodka tonic. Um, or like you said, a, a lot more places now are doing mocktails. Almost every place in New York can do, um, I call it a nojito, but it's a mojito that's that's basically virgin. So there definitely are those other options out there. And for me, when I just decided not to drink, I was like, I going through this process want to have one or two things that I'm like, I stick with. And I didn't want to waver back and forth to say like, okay, sometimes I'm drinking, sometimes I'm not. And so I just decided to go, go cold turkey. But like you said, that doesn't necessarily work um, with everyone. So I think, yeah, you can, you can still have that drink in your hand. But if it does make you anxious, then like you said, that that definitely um, defeats defeats the purpose a little bit. And if you're at a bar, go go around the court, you know, be like, I'm going to go get a drink and go to the bathroom, right? Go to the other bar right. and say, hey, can I? And, and so I, I think always, too, we always think people are like looking at us more than they actually are. are. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes people really don't care. And sometimes but sometimes like there are those nosy people that really are they want to know what you're doing. Exactly. Um, but really, really great, great tips on the alcohol piece. Um, anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to share? I mean, I think the big thing that, you know, I would say is the other, the other piece is fertility. That's the one that I has been on my, on my mind a little bit more. Um, and again, I haven't gone through it. I wasn't able to freeze my eggs, um, when I started. So I have always had in the back of my head, okay, what is my, my future family going to look like? And just wanted to share, I guess, another piece of advice that I got from one of my nurse practitioners. And she was like, look, you get to create your own family, whether it's a surrogate or whether it's someone who's adopted, you kind of get to put that out there. Cause I think fertility ends up being a big, a big topic and, um, Obviously it's not impossible, but I just think, um, again, as you, as anyone who has metastatic breast cancer and they're living with it, and if you don't have kids or a family, um, it's something probably that's, that's on your mind a lot. So I would say just try to stay positive and and know that you can still get that family. It just might not look like the way you want. Yeah. I mean, family is what we create, but you're right. Yeah. People have images about having your own children and giving birth and, I'm sure that was a big loss to grieve, right? Not being able to freeze your eggs, being on a medication that suppresses mm -hmm. your ovaries. Uh, any tips on getting through that? Um, I would probably say, so I made a vision board. It was very like cheesy. Got bought like a ton of magazines, construction paper. I bought a binder when I say board because I didn't want to be like laying in bed looking at this like huge poster board. So I was like, all right, I'm putting it in like a cheetah print binder. It's my favorite print. And I made pages around faith, family, finances, you know, love my future apartment in New York, um, just hobbies, whatever I wanted to do. And like, I still put a picture of a family in there. And so again, whether it it's still like, hey, I can visualize this, you know, we're going to the grocery store, whatever it is. Um, so I think just it's, it's still a mindset. It definitely is really hard. I think too, right. I'm at an age where a lot of people are getting married. A lot of people are starting to have babies. So like, there's so many times even I've gone and I'm like, okay, wow. Like this is so great. I'm so happy for, for my friends. And it's not like a jealousy thing, but I'm like, 
wow, I feel like a lot of people are moving forward in ways that I've thought about, and I'm not sure what that's going to look like for me. But still saying, you know what, take a step back. One, don't compare to everyone has things that they're going through that you don't see from the outside, whether friends shared or not, whether it's health, whether it's family, whether it's finances. So just trying to say, you know, I'm living my life right now. Whatever happens in the future, I'm open to it. I'm like open to receive good things. Um, and I think you just have to kind of keep keep that mindset. I love it. And, and putting it out there as you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. For a second, let's talk about finances because we didn't touch on that. Yeah. Cancer is expensive. And so expensive. <laughs> living in New York is expensive. So what has been your experience with all of that and with, you know, all the treatments and paying, you know, I mean, it's just all these medications and co-pays and all of that. Yeah. So, you know, I will say I, before I start, cause I, I always want to say, I know even having insurance and having good insurance come from a place, you know, of privilege, but there still definitely is budgeting and financing finance when you start. So I remember that was the first thing my mom said before I even went to my first appointment is, okay, you need to get either some kind of binder folder to really manage, like you have every bill, you know, I write paid always at the top. I still like either print out my bills or get paper statements just so that I can actually track. Um, and then, you know, I didn't do it at first, but there's open enrollment at my current company. So I'm going to be doing like a health savings account. I haven't ever tried it. So I don't know if there, there is going to be financial mm-hmm. benefit that way. Um, but for me, I definitely have still monthly medical bills and then every six months, I feel like I get hit hardest because that's the scan. So even though insurance does cover it, there's still a big, you know, part that I'm paying for um, out of pocket. And, you know, truth is there's times where I'm like, okay, I'm not able to do necessarily what I want, like socially or a trip wise, but, you know, still my health. And and that's kind of the thing that is um, priority. But the advice I have for anyone is definitely budget, put those numbers on paper, save your bills. There are, there are ways, you know, I feel like that you can always call and try to like, say like, Hey, like, can I help get this covered? Um, but I'd say it's, it's also crazy to think that I'm like, again, this isn't a one or two year thing. This is kind of this, a life, a lifetime thing. So now I'm always going to be planning or having to think about what does that medical bill, you know, look like. And I'll add to that is say that a lot of times people get bills and if they feel Mm -hmm. off or you're like, wait, I, Oh yeah. Like call you, like make friends with a financial advocate at your cancer Mm -hmm. center because they're there to help you. Um, And a lot of times people get bills for things that actually they shouldn't get billed for. Right. Exactly. Um, So yeah, I think that's, yeah. With, um, like you said, the financial advocate, I think just tracking yourself. So making sure there's not a way that you would double pay or that your insurance actually will cover it. Um, So I think just like making your own tracking system for some people, it's in Excel for some people it's on paper. Also, I feel like at least for me, again, it's a little bit different, but now I know each month what around like how much I should be billed. So like, like you said, if something like looks completely off, then I feel like once you're kind of in it, you start to know, okay, this is, this isn't right. Yeah, because a lot of, you know, what's happening is, especially in breast cancer, we're doing a lot of molecular testing and genetic testing, and all these panels. And mm-hmm. a lot of times the insurance companies will like later turn around and be like, oh, wait, we're not going to pay for this. We're not going to cover this. Yeah. For this, and they said they did. And so I think just really being on top of it is important. But there also are organizations that can help, um, especially if you're struggling with even, I mean, 
it gets, you know, it can get to the point where even like paying for gas or groceries is not gonna, it's hard. And, and if you, you know, there's so many organizations that are really want to help people with those small bills and those small. Definitely. Definitely. Or even like a Lyft, Uber. Yeah. Um, you know, I know there's organizations within New York that will give you like a free ride to your appointment or your doctor visit. Um, so there's definitely resources I think out there. Yeah. The problem is that they don't live in a space, right? So like a lot right. of puts the owners put the onus on the patient who's already going through a lot to like find them, but this right. is where social workers can be really helpful. So when we think of, I always think people always think about their team as like, okay, well, I have my nurse or I have my nurse practitioner, I have my doctor, but it's all those other people. And that includes the financial people and the social workers and all those people that have access to so many other resources that I don't personally maybe not know about. Exactly. Grants and transportation and even fertility, you know, the Chick Mission is a great organization in New York that really wants to cover fertility costs for people. So there's, there's a lot out there. Truly amazing. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Um, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, I would say um, you can connect with me as we talked about social media earlier, but you can connect with me on Instagram at Amanda letter L quick. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely happy to answer what I can in DMs or, um, you know, just follow along too. And you're branching out to TikTok? I am branching out to TikTok. I've probably, I've not been as consistent on TikTok as I want to. Um, the handle is the same there, Amanda L. Quick. Um, so I've had a few videos on what my treatment days are like, um, you know, my, in a shortened version, my cancer story, just in breast cancer stats. Um, so yeah, not as consistent, but you can kind of just, like I said, follow along and um, yeah. on there too. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Amanda. It is such a powerful one. And I am, like I said in the introduction, I'm so grateful to her for being so open and talking about topics that are sometimes not talked about, such as dating, financial toxicity, the mental health aspect, and, and so much more. And it is only when we have these conversations that we can move past some of those stigmas and we can begin to normalize many of these topics that are traditionally not discussed. You can find Amanda on Instagram at Amanda L. Quick. I definitely recommend checking out the Pink Agenda because they are doing wonderful things and have some amazing education and fundraising and advocacy efforts. You can find me at Dr. Duplinski on all the social media platforms. You can also, if you would like more bonus content, more bonus podcast episodes, Q&As, join us over on Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash Dr. Duplinski uh, for a much more smaller and intimate community. And it's really fun over there. So I urge you to check that out. If you have a moment to leave a rating and or review for the Interlude podcast on your podcast player of choice, that is um, always so appreciated because it helps me to grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Thank you all for listening and I will see you soon. Thank you.